You're listening to the Nightlight Radio Network. This is Dr. Zohara Hieronymus, co-host of 21st Century Radio. We are happy to present this rebroadcast of our show on Nightlight. Enjoy. I'm Dr. Sohara Hieronymus. Laura Kortner is our executive producer, and Anita Brockington <laughs> runs our board. Joining us this hour is a man who, like Matthew Fox, believes that a better world is made through self-awareness and better human relations among ourselves. Conflict resolution, compassionate listening, holistic medicine, gentle touch, and other things, other forms of peaceful engagement help us learn to resolve differences. And this is a passion of our guest, Gabriel Pickus. Gabriel's the founder. He directs and serves as the lead teaching artist for the Baltimore Wisdom Project. Under the auspices of BWP, Gabriel's the program director and research coordinator for the Whole Child Intervention Program at Franklin Square Elementary Middle School with Kennedy Krieger Institute Center for Neurodevelopmental and Imaging Research. He joins us now to share how one organization, working in collaboration with others, can help a new generation of people discover the inner tools of compassion, both for oneself and others, of service, of self-development, all aspects for creating a more just and sustainable future. Thank you so much for joining us, Gabriel. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm really honored to be here. Uh, your name I can remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you summed it up uh, pretty well right there. We can just say goodnight at this point. All right. Thank you so much. That was very easy. <laughs> I love the fact that part of what you call what you do is wisdom education. So let's first talk about where you got started, because you didn't just jump into this out of nowhere. No, we all stand on the shoulders of giants, uh, like Dr. Theodore Richards of the Chicago Wisdom Project and his teacher, Matthew Fox, who I believe was your previous guest. Yes. So Theodore yeah. Richards of the Wisdom Project, tell us about that work and how you got started. Well, I... Um... Went to Goucher College in Baltimore after uh, living abroad in Israel-Palestine, doing some coexistence and peace-building work out there uh, after high school. And uh, attending Goucher, I ended up volunteering in Baltimore City Public Schools. And I just became immediately uh, aware of the problems and, and uh, also was struck by how I could fit in and how I could help. Uh, given my experience in alternative education. And I was first introduced to Baltimore City Public Schools by my Kapoweta Angola teacher, Sakir Brown, uh, who was teaching kids in Baltimore how to do martial arts and how to tell a new story about their history. Uh, but I noticed that, you know, it, despite the wonderful, enriching experience of being exposed to African-Brazilian martial art for African-American children, some of them really resonated with it and some of them didn't. Uh, so I've moved towards a more holistic approach and in that process discovered uh, Dr. Richard's work in Chicago. And uh, since then, you know, the Baltimore Wisdom Project was a natural outgrowth. Uh, so I can explain more about that more specifically if you'd like, or we could get into whatever whatever you're curious about. Yeah, well, we will, but your background is quite fascinating. You you mentioned that you worked in Israel, Habonim Dror, which you, you graduated and spent 14 summers. It's an international youth movement, right, that values 
quote, social justice, collaboration, and positive identity formation. So tell us about the work that you did there and how it manifests. Sure. Well, I started there uh, when I was going into sixth grade. And I guess it all goes back to even before that, when I went to a Montessori bilingual kindergarten. How fascinating. Uh, And, you know, I actually attended a Spanish-speaking preschool before that. So I kind of, my introduction to education was through alternative models. And as I uh, transitioned from this bilingual Montessori school where we got to explore and play all day and we had different stations of, you know, internal, external exploration, different sensory and group inputs, you know, uh, then I ended up in regular public school in first grade, and I just hated it uh, and the the linearity of it all. Yeah. Uh, so once I got to summer camp, I was thrilled to find that they were steeped in this rich alternative uh, learning models, and also that they were, you know, part of my Jewish heritage, which I hadn't really claimed at that point in my life. So not only was I learning about my own culture for the first time, but I was learning about it in a way that really resonated with me. Uh, so that kind of primed me uh, to become, you know, steeped in that culture. And I still have friends that, you know, live across the street from me t- today. Isn't uh, that, that wonderful? Are connected with Havanim Dror, uh, which actually means the builders of liberty are the builders of justice. Uh, so there's a there's a strong social justice uh, route that runs through that that uh, part of my life, and that those styles of education are really what I'm bringing to Baltimore City classrooms today. Uh, so it all it all was rooted there, uh, and you know. Well, you know, Baltimore has been in the national news for all the wrong reasons recently. And and I read off of one of your um, papers that according to the last United States census of approximately 621,000 residents of Baltimore City, an estimated 21 percent are under the age of 18. 63% are African-American, 24% live below the poverty level, 26% hold a bachelor's degree, 24% of youth 16 to 19 drop out of school, 45% graduate from high school, and 28% of the population, or approximately 43,000 residents, live in poverty. You know, our city has its own particular blessings and challenges. So when you started this work, and now you are in schools and you have an opportunity to work with kids. Let's talk about the foundations, because just as it's new to these children, it is new to many people, no matter their age, their color, or their socioeconomic background, of what you're doing. Um, so when we talk about the wis- the Baltimore Wisdom Project and what you bring children, yes, share with us, Gabriel, some of the ways you go about bringing a child to appreciating not only self-development, but um, compassion. Sure. Well, I'll just, I'll back up and just talk about wisdom education for a second. Okay. And because I think it's really ironic, actually, that we consider these traditional models that have come out of the, you know, prison or factory school model in recent history as kind of our, our, our roots when actually our roots are much older and deeper than that. And so the things that I'm doing with youth are natural. 
and they they take to them because they're natural and they're naturally engaging. Um, and then you know the 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 work that we're really doing now is is focused around four major initiatives, and it's nice to feel that there's a there's a groundswell from the community, from teachers, from parents, and from the students for this idea of the whole child. And simultaneously, there's a top-down initiative from the, the Baltimore City Public Schools and North Avenue uh, Central Office uh, to kind of say, yeah, you know, we recognize this, this need. Um, but the problem is, and this is where we come in, you know, is that there's a big gap in, in, in one, the ability to just go for it, to try yeah. new, new things with kids, uh, quote-unquote new things, right, that are actually very old. Uh, and then, you know, to actually have the expertise on these four areas, which I'll, I'll name now, we're, we're focused on trauma-informed care for trauma-impacted youth. We're focused on restorative justice as opposed to punitive models that perpetuate cycles of violence and, you know, negative patterns of behavior. Uh, we're focused on arts integration. Uh, and then... That those within arts integration is you know a lot, uh, but one major component that I think is so essential for the health of our children is to engage the physical body. You know we're we're told to sit down all day and you know the the health problems ensue. Uh, and then one thing I think people overlook is that our brains aren't getting enough blood when we sit down all day. Uh, so kids aren't thinking clearly, uh, in addition to all the other things they're dealing with, you know, now, now their bodies are being, um, harmed by being forced to sit. So we do, we do several forms of arts integration in the classroom, but the, the major one that we're focused on is incorporating movement and empowering teachers to feel that they can they can not only manage their students, but they can actually use movement as a teaching tool so that, um, and I guess one other comment I'll throw in, uh, is that sometimes these initiatives in trauma-informed care, restorative justice, or arts integration, that together may point towards or work towards a idea of a whole child. Are you still there? Yes, I am. No, I'm I'm just loving what you have to say. You know, I've done so many different interviews over the decades about holistic healthcare and, um, as you call it, wisdom education, education for the whole child. I recently um, there's a beautiful new book out by State of the World. It's called State of the World. Um, and it's for new education. And there's a, a thing in Europe called the Forest Schools, where the schools for the kids are entirely in the forest and they put up just sort of cabins. It doesn't take a big infrastructure and the entire class curriculum is based in nature. And that's what they argue we need to do is not only to um, educate for a more ecologically aware society, but also a youth community who are educated from, from their childhood on up about the needs of our planet right now. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, sorry, I, I got cut off there uh, okay. for a second, but I, I moved closer to my Wi-Fi, so I should be good now. <laughs> All um, right. 
Well, well, yeah, I was yeah, just saying that, that along along the lines you're speaking to, yes, there is an awareness worldwide that this old factory school um, system of information in, information out is not only very destructive, but it it's not an education. An education of the child should unfold a child for each individual. So we're going to take a little break. When we come back, hopefully we'll have all of our technical stuff worked out here. And we'll be right back. If you're just joining us, my guest is Gabriel Pekus. And you can find Gabriel's work at www.baltimorewisdomproject.org. You're listening to 21st Century Radio with Zoe and Bob Hieronymus. My name is Stefan Schwartz. It's my pleasure to be here. You're going to hear interesting conversation on this that you won't hear elsewhere. And you can find my work on www.schwartzreport.net or www.explorejournal.com forward stroke content forward stroke Schwartz. 21st Century Radio is leading this conversation of what a conscious world will look like. Our guest this hour is Gabriel Pickus, his work, The Baltimore Wisdom Project. You can learn more at baltimorewisdomproject.org. So, Gabriel, you have a very um, broad, what's the right word, skill set that you bring to helping children find a holistic worldview, not only of themselves, but how they interact in the world. You're also a Healing Touch certified practitioner. You're also a drummer um, and an artist. How do how do all of these things come together when you sit down and say, all right, I, I wanted to address this one particular thing you talked about, which deals with trauma, um, mm. trauma-informed care. What specifically is that? Because so much of the world really suffers from post-traumatic stress syndrome and other things that are related to it. Well, I, I, I can't pretend to be an expert on trauma-informed care, but... One thing that I can say is that most educators are not taking that into account in terms of what may be triggering a child's behavior. Yeah. Uh, for example, in any situation that any person in an authority position might want to de-escalate, for example, recent police shootings of people with mental illness, uh, you know, the police weren't taking into account the person's... Uh, social, emotional, mental state. Uh, so you never know. I, I guess my, my motto is to always assume that I've triggered something or that someone, someone is being triggered, whether it's by a smell, whether it's by an experience, whether it's by something somebody said, and that the aggression that they're acting out, I think, and this goes into how trauma-informed care is inextricably tied to restorative justice uh, because... <laughs> As soon as somebody acts out, it's it's about it's about the rule in school that they're breaking, or as opposed to, you know, the help that they're crying out for, or, um, you know, for example, if somebody is getting in an argument with another student, the tendency is to assume that you know that there's something wrong with them, but they should be punished for it, as opposed to there's something wrong with them, but they need help. Right. And right. So just that subtle shift, um, you know, like we have in many cases, people have the right idea, but they don't have the skill set to identify like, oh, yeah, that person is triggered by this person's perfume. And, you know, so that's why they're telling everyone that they stink and, you know, causing a fight. 
you know, and, and if there were resources in schools to not just have people who can have that skill set to identify that as like, oh, this person is being triggered by a past trauma right now uh, and, and kind of name that. But then also to have the resources to actually pull them out and help them work through that so that they can return to the group. And, you know, then at that point, instead of being punished, they need to repair the relationships that they've uh, maybe harmed. Um, so it's, it's really about relationships instead of rules. It's really about, um, again, working towards the whole child. I, I wouldn't just isolate trauma informed care, which is, which is the point I was trying to get to before is basically like we tend to create systems that further compartmentalize yes. you know, based on the, uh, I don't know what to call it. The, the assembly line model uh, where, you know, you, you go to some, let's say that the school is really great and they have awesome arts program and they, you know, they have this really awesome trauma informed care approach and, and they're using restorative justice, but these things are happening in a way that's still compartmentalized. So it falls short of being holistic the, the way to do it is to integrate it and have it interwoven throughout the day and have the the character development is not something that you can do as like a dessert. You know, it, it has to be part of the meal. It has to be part of the actual thing that they're there to do is character development uh, in addition to academic learning. So what tends to happen is, you know, these programs get sidelined because they say, oh, it takes it takes away from academic time. But our approach of integration uh, of trauma-informed care, restorative justice, and, and the arts uh, really allows those lessons to be learned in an integrated fashion alongside their, their academic work or as a part of their academic work. So I'm literally dancing and skip counting, mm-hmm. you know, during math class and, and literally having people, you know, do team building and uh, you know, restorative discussions as they're learning about science. And I can give concrete examples of that if you're interested. But... Oh, that's wonderful. But but I was going to say something back to this yeah. issue of trauma and the drug war in Baltimore mm. and the drug war everywhere. I mean, the drug war has created an environment of chaos and violence for everybody. Um, mm-hmm. And it doesn't just go away because you don't hear about it. And so I, I'd like to say that in many parts of major cities everywhere, people have such fear for good reason. It's not it's not uninformed fear. But at the same time, fear leads to these draconian um, responses, as you point out, rather than responses that are integrative and loving. And um, so at some of the schools, you know, they have these quiet rooms where kids can go for time out and meditation and quiet reflection. But again, that's a compartmentalization. All of a sudden, there's this place you go outside the classroom when you feel like you need to cool down versus Mm -hmm. an opportunity, as you point out, um, 
and we currently have an administration that is just all the wrong examples of all the wrong behavior of grown humans, um, which doesn't help anybody. But at least you have an opportunity and other educators like you who really do love children and who really do appreciate that these children are just these beautiful beings just waiting to unfold, but they aren't given this nurturing environment in which to do it because there's so much, um, I guess the pressure is in performance, like, you know, in the outcome-based education. And I guess you know this, but when public education was formed, you know there are no laws to educate a child. There are only laws about attendance. Mm. I think that's still true to this day. The only real laws about school is that a child must attend, and that had a lot to do with the factories and the farmers and when the children were in off-season, et cetera, et cetera. But it had nothing to do with educating. Right. Well, the Department of Education was founded after the Civil War, uh, and originally it was envisioned as like this beacon of building a, a fully informed populace to participate in a functioning democracy. Uh, but then, you know, the powers that be took a look at the plan and decided that they would rather have factory workers and, you know, uh, then then the prison industrial complex was founded alongside of it in yep. order to uh, basically re-enslave the population uh, because of the whole the gaping hole in the 13th Amendment that allows uh, enslavement uh, only if you're incarcerated. So you're absolutely right. The the progression of history all the way back to the Civil War, you know, leads us to this this place today where now the No Child Left Behind Act was kind of the first attempt at codifying performance within public schools, but it ended up being a very uh kind of punished by by you know, it made it made the bad situations worse and the good situations uh you know, the same. It didn't improve anything. And now that that act has finally been repealed or it, I guess it expired and it wasn't renewed. So now there's this there's this new law that gives the states and the local jurisdictions a lot more autonomy to decide what their curriculum looks like and what the needs of their students are and how to address them. So we're at a very important time, especially in Baltimore City public schools, as this whole child initiative is being rolled out. And again, I have the utmost respect for organizations that are taking the making the effort. I don't want to uh, discount the work of of the the you know the the kind of compartmentalized programs that you know do do arts and do do restorative justice and really are incorporating more holistic uh, like toward a holistic approach but uh, I just want to you know really be clear that um, a rock-solid holistic approach would be integrative And, and you talk about that I mean the Baltimore Wisdom Project you know you're really working to create this wise group of community members who can manage conflicts as you say and support our peers particularly as young people become leaders in the world, as you point out. So there's wisdom integration in the school. There's wisdom integration out of the school. And then you talk about intercultural youth leadership programs. Mm. Talk to us a bit about that effort. Sure. Well, um, I have to lift up um, Rastre Subira, who's my co-facilitator in those two major projects that we've undertaken. Uh, One of them is called Olam Ubuntu, 
and Olam is the Hebrew word for world, and Ubuntu is an Nguni Bantu philosophy that roughly translates to I am because we are. And I can't understate the, the uh, I, I can't overstate the ways that Ubuntu has been completely infused within you know that section of the continent and beyond. Uh, my friend who actually just left my house has a PhD in the way that Ubuntu has impacted professional life in South Africa, uh, from banks to you know all types of business. Uh, so what we are doing is combining Olam and Ubuntu to create a program that roughly translates to creating a world where I am because we are. And it's a Jewish and black youth leadership program. Uh, and we actually, you know, when we were when we were first forming the program, we had a couple of parents kind of say like, well, you know, my my. Uh, my son or daughter, you know, they, they go to school in a diverse school and, you know, they, they kind of sit with kids that don't look like them. And so what do we need this for? And our, our response is that, you know, it's, it's one thing to unintentionally be in diverse spaces. It's another thing to intentionally, you know, integrate communities and talk about the issues that divide them in order to further integrate. And then also, have the youth bring their parents and their community members together for events where they take leadership and they're, you know, really breaking down boundaries, facilitating discussions and using their passions, you know, whether it's poetry, whether it's art, whether it's videography to actually create social change within those contexts. Um, so that's the first program. The second program is the Elijah Cummings Youth Leadership Program in Israel uh, reached out. They, they, they sent, actually, it was, uh, I, I believe it was 10 African-American youth and one Palestinian youth from Elijah Cummings District, uh, and they reached out to, uh, through Forefront Baltimore, which is a kind of collaboration of Jewish teen leadership programs. Uh, so they paired kind of 11 and 11. So there's 22 kids. 11 of them have had this intense travel experience abroad in Israel, and uh, 11 of them have kind of, some of them have met, some of them haven't, uh, and we, they're seniors in high school, uh, so we're doing sessions with them that will lead up to a presentation uh, and community building event where, again, the youth will facilitate the kind of discussions about the issues that they brought up through their artistic work and through their uh kind of social justice autobiographies that they're creating. Uh, so they're, they're really forming an identity, not just as activists, but also as artists by really getting in touch with themselves and finding out how their creativity can be a tool for social change. That's lovely. That's wonderful. I also see that the Baltimore Wisdom Project offers healing services I mean, yeah. you really are holistic in all ways. There's, it's almost like the one-stop shop for kids. I think it's fantastic. Well, we don't do uh, energy healing for kids uh, per se through the Baltimore Wisdom Project, but my practice as a healing touch practitioner uh, really informs my practice as a holistic educator. Um, in what ways? Oh. Sure, I can go through. I can go through it in in 
uh, in detail according to the the chakra system. Uh, would that be an okay to well, word? Well, sure. To Our audience is familiar with all these things, and as you sure. know, I founded the Ruskin Mansion Community Health Center, which is <laughs> one of the it is the oldest holistic healing center in the country now. But um, wow. yeah, tell us tell us firstly what healing touch is, and then how it informs your work as an educator. Sure. Yeah, healing touch is an energy based approach. It's very gentle hands on the body hands off the body and you know our our goal is to just create the conditions for the body to heal so a lot of times what people aren't able to do is get their body into a state of peace and relaxation so that their body can use its natural wisdom to do what it does which is heal heal itself and grow itself back and make itself stronger uh, so healing touch uses the meridians, uses the chakras, and uses the layers of the energy field uh, to create a state of equilibrium and restore balance in the body so that basically so that you can relax and heal. Uh, right. And people have pretty profound but varying experiences on the table, you know, depending on what they bring to it and um, how deep they allow themselves to go. But pretty much everybody has a great experience. Um, so the the chakras, I don't know if how, how familiar folks are with them, but I I come from a Jewish tradition which ha- uses the tree of life. So there's actually ten sefirot. But I find that the seven day cycle and the seven chakra system is uh, just as you know, it's all the same. It just depends on which kind of language you're using to describe it. Yeah. Because there's major and minor energy centers. So I'll just go through the major ones. So the the first one is associated with the element earth. And, you know, it has all these other properties to it. But the most important thing in terms of how the holistic health approach informs my holistic education is like you were talking about before, nature, right? Nature and family and the earth. So we take kids on a on a camping trip. Uh, once the, the Olam Ubuntu uh, Youth Leadership Program, that group will go uh, in May. We take kids up to Pearlstone Retreat Center, uh, and increasingly, we're finding more and more opportunities to get kids out in nature and Lovely. really connect uh, with each other and with the earth. Then, uh, second is the the kind of sacral center chakra, which is associated with with relationships. Uh, so we want to really help youth feel supported. So this is where we might do restorative justice circles where we just kind of talk about the issues and talk about how we're feeling and really develop emotional intelligence. Uh, and then we'll do some, te- you know, team building stuff, uh, just introduction to how to rely on each other, support each other and feel supported. Uh, then third is the solar plexus. So, that's all about your your core, yourself, your identity. Uh, so we do a little bit of that in our ancestry work at the beginning, but eventually it's really about you know c- establishing your core identities and really being clear about what it is that you want and what it is that you don't want and how you can you know uh, really name the issues and really name who you are. Uh, then fourth is the heart, which is associated with compassion. And uh, and conflict management. So that's where we really get into role playing and and martial art and uh, being clear on how our breath can really help us relieve stress 
and how that applies to internal as well as external interactions with others. Um, and fifth would be the throat center, which is about speaking our truth and creative expression. So again, we're, we're, we're using, we're using in a cumulative way right now, they're able to express themselves so that they can compassionately work together to fight against the, <laughs> the problems in the world that they've identified and named. Uh, and then, uh, sixth would be their, their ability to, to kind of map out and envision the life that they want for themselves and really see, uh, how to problem solve and, and generate, uh, action plans related to social justice or action plans related to, you know, their own well-being. Uh, and seventh is, uh, is really about their relationship with a higher power. Uh, so we don't get to talk about that a lot in school. We do kind of create avenues for that through <laughs> like Avatar, the last airbender cartoon and, you know, different yoga ideas without getting too controversial, you know, talking about how, uh, we are made of stars, right. And we are, we are water and how that water draws its, its ancestry from the very elements that were birthed in the stars. Uh, so, so really having a, a, a sense of core identity, but also having a sense of cosmic identity and really being, being, finding our place in the universe. That's lovely. I, I love the way you described it based in the chakra system and it has such clarity. That's just wonderful for anybody. We have to take a break, but for anybody in the audience, if they have an interest in speaking with you, what's the best way to reach you? Do you prefer it by email? Is there a phone number people can use during work hours? Sure. Yeah. I mean, anybody can call my cell, but the best is, uh, Baltimore wisdom project at gmail.com. Okay. Wisdom project.org. We're, we're at Baltimore wisdom on Twitter or Baltimore wisdom project on Facebook. All those are really great. Okay. And, Baltimore uh, my, wisdom my phone numbers on the website. So. Okay. Baltimore wisdom project at gmail.com. You said that's right at gmail.com. And we'll be right back. If you're just joining us, our guest is Gabriel Pickus. He is the director and teaching artist with the Baltimore wisdom project. Hello, this is Diana Leaf Christian, author of Creating a Life Together and Finding Community. You can learn more about me and my work and my doing consultations and workshops and speaking at conferences at www.dianaleafchristian.org, Leaf, L-E-A-F-E, dianaleafchristian.org. You're listening to 21st Century Radio with Dr. Zohara Hieronymus. So, Gabriel, we've talked about a number of things from the Baltimore Wisdom Project and your work in various schools. Is there something we've not touched upon that you are um, focused on or that you'd like to share with us? Um, I guess we haven't really talked about the mindfulness piece. Great. Please do. Uh, well, I had a little revelation the other day, and I kind of came up with this process uh, so what I realized is that there's, there's so much judgment that's happening, uh, especially of ourselves when we want to do transformative work. So let's say that I begin with the thought that I want to lose weight, right? That's based on a judgment right. <laughs> of myself. So, so I think that the, the idea of observation through mindfulness work 
uh, as a place of just to start. And if and so one of the one of the co-teachers that uh, I work with through the Kennedy Krieger Institute at, at Franklin Square, her her kind of covert goal uh, that she comes with every day for the kids is to just get them to find peace, just get them to find quiet. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then they, and, and once they get there, then they're so appreciative of it, but it's just such a struggle to get there. So how can we strategically get kids to that, that place where they're, they're observing themselves and then, eventually right once they're able to to observe then then all of the all of the angst and all of the 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 stuff that they didn't want to look at which is why they were so resistant to doing the self-reflection in the first place it starts to come up so then we have to practice non-judgment uh and i think that you know this lesson is just as important for for an adult practitioner which is why i'm taking notes on it myself uh so once we once we can observe ourselves honestly and then not judge, then we can start to practice. Then we can start to work on the problems that we can then name and identify. So we've we've mind, we've we've used the practice of mindfulness to to observe ourselves. Then we we're not judging ourselves, and then we're naming the problem, and then we're able to to practice. And then once we practice. I think a lot of programs kind of stop there, right? But one of our goals, again, with the integrative approach is to take our work off the mat, so to speak, or off the meditation cushion. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's all well and good to be able to be peaceful in a peaceful environment. <laughs> but a lot of times that's not the reality that these kids or that we are dealing with on a daily basis. So the, the next and most important step of the work is to then be able to apply these lessons that we've learned by learning to be, you know, by finding peace, finding quiet, uh, and apply them to our lives so that we can kind of find the eye at the center of the storm, so to speak. Uh, so from a martial art perspective, you know, it, it means repatterning our reactions to stress so that we exhale and relax under physical, uh, psychological or emotional pressure as opposed to tense up and freeze or freak out and not be, you know, able to survive or function, let alone, you know, calm somebody else down. <laughs> so that's that's the process that I'm that I've kind of recently uh, been able to articulate and, and, uh, I think it's, it's one that I need to work on still, you know, I don't say it from any position of expertise, but I think all the best educators, uh, are really learning alongside their students. Uh, and in that way, they're able to genuinely remain fresh and interesting as opposed to just, you know, trying the same thing that worked maybe 10 years ago. Probably well, you know, and anymore. I, and I think from the many people I've interviewed over the decades and more recently, you're not alone in appreciating that the education needed today is not the education of yesterday. And that has to stop. Mm -hmm. And there's an appreciation, I think, by school systems as well about the failure of the school system for our children nationwide. I mean, the dumbing down of education has been extraordinary and, and the making of conformity has really destroyed 
those who are so inspired to be teachers. I mean, that's the beauty of being a teacher, that you actually have these creative environments, presumably, in which mm. you can literally nurture these children who have come before you and your care. And we all know as adults, we can all, I mean, I can look back at my own life and there were certain teachers that inspired me to become exactly what I eventually became. Not that I knew that, but there were certain aptitudes I had. And that's the joy, I think, for a teacher is to see a child unfold and discover who they are and what they value and what they can do, not what they can't do, not what they aren't designed for. You know, this conformity is really the disaster of our world. And and that's why I think such creative people like you are, are just such a, a wondrous addition to all of the school systems everywhere, because fortunately, people like you exist in all our cities. And there are people making efforts much against sometimes the protocol of the hierarchy in these administrations um, to really do exactly what you're saying, which is to give our kids today the skills you need for today, which is a, a resilience and um, a, a willingness to, to listen and to share because we are in a point, you know, in planetary evolution and, and local ecologies and local economies where if there just really isn't any option. That's the way I look at it. There really is no other choice but to respond creatively with um, right human relations in mind as a cornerstone, not as just an afterthought. Exactly. Yeah, and have it be integrated throughout the process of whatever else we have to learn. I think it's you're right on point. Of course, uh, the the C CEOs of today, you know, when they name the top qualities that they want in their employees, none of those things are being funded or taught in the schools. You know, it's it's creativity, it's it's original thinking, it's problem solving, it's the ability to collaborate with others. Uh, you know, obviously we need that foundational, uh, you know, knowledge of the world, but um, the, so the emphasis on wisdom doesn't, the, the point that I think is really essential is that when we emphasize wisdom, it doesn't mean that we're not emphasizing knowledge, right? Wisdom requires knowledge, but knowledge does not require wisdom. And I think we've gotten into a very, uh, kind of increasingly uh, smaller pigeonhole of, mm -hmm. of knowledge accumulation being the goal. Uh, when again, you know, there's no point of having all this knowledge if you can't apply it. Uh, you know, so in, in order to, I guess I, I wanted to circle back to a, to a comment that, that you said earlier, which is kind of like, how is this all connected? Like, how do you get this all to be, <laughs> to be one thing? And, you know, for me personally, like hitting a drum in a sensitive way to get the right sound is the same as, as uh, hitting a person in order to get the right reaction. You know, it doesn't necessarily like I'm not trying to break my drum. I'm not trying to break anybody. <laughs> um, it's, it's about empowering. It's about learning how to make each other stronger. Uh, the same thing with, you know, the, the art that, that I'm creating uh you know, the art itself, not just about the strike, but about the, the, the song that we're singing or the dance that we're making or the problem that we're solving. Uh, it's all the same strategic approach, uh, whether it's holistic health or holistic education. Uh, we have to be uh, 
fully informed about, like you said, our planetary and species, you know, evolutionary history, right? We're contributing to the evolution of consciousness itself. So, you know, these, these kids have, uh, like you said, they're, they've, they're these, they're these investments that, that consciousness has, has loaned. Uh, well, you know, and, when, when we look at the challenges that we as adults know the planet faces, and then we think of how are we educating and rearing these next generations to be well-equipped, to be inspired to rise up to the mess, basically, that, you know, the last <laughs> 200 years have created or more. Um, we're not talking about little things anymore, but we are actually talking about the little thing called love and the little thing called respect and appreciation mm -hmm. and um, restoration and resilience and et cetera, et cetera. Well, I, I think what you're doing and then making your the effort to do, it's easy for me to understand, and I think probably for our audience as well, because what you're talking about is bringing out the best in each person and creating community in a way that honors the child as an individual with their unique needs and are responding to that reality versus, you know, treating everybody as we have historically the same, and that's just not appropriate anymore. I want to thank you. We do have to say goodnight. I want to encourage my audience to visit your website, baltimorewisdomproject.org. You all can help support wherever these programs might be available. If you know a school system you think or a particular school that you think would benefit by the presence of the Baltimore Wisdom Project, please get in touch with them. That's what they're here for. Thank you for joining us. 21st Century Radio is produced by Hieronymus and Company. Our executive producer and research assistant is Laura Kortner, and I'm Dr. Zohara Hieronymus. And remember, we do need more love in the world.